From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in high-voltage, solid-state Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. In this week's episode, we talk to Ben Franks, host of Gamerspace here at Glitch, and master of game machinery, to discuss the ins and outs of video game hardware. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Hi, Ben. Hello. Yay! <laughs> Thanks for having me here. Yeah, we're so happy to have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why it was a good idea for us to bring you on the show? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, like you said, my name is Ben Franks. Um, I've been oh, good, here. Got that right. <laughs> I hope so. I've been here in Minneapolis my entire life, pretty much, um, living out in the suburbs. Um, my whole life has revolved around video games. I've loved them since the day I was born. Um, and I've always been a fan of software. Right now, I'm actually um, getting my uh, bachelor's in software engineering at Dunwoody, just outside of town. Oh, right. Or in town, really. I've always had a love of hardware, especially um, kind of the underdog hardware, which has <laughs> yeah. kind of put a special place in my heart for um, Sega systems and all sorts right, of things right. like that. Um, but uh, I suppose I'm... In a matter of speaking, a bit of a part-time gaming historian. Okay. Um, okay. Oh. Yeah. So um, I'm very interested in gaming preservation and making sure that uh, games and game systems and those sorts of experiences uh, can be had by future generations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so one of the reasons I know that Stephen was interested in getting on the show is that your work with Dreamcast hardware. Yes. And yes. that really ties into what you were just saying, like <laughs> the need for preservation, because Absolutely. if there's any system that needs it. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the bigger problems with Dreamcast is because they are a disk-based system, uh, you know, they have moving parts, and those wear out over time. Mm-hmm. So a really big part of uh, gaming preservation here is making sure that these disk drives are maintained and that we have alternatives you know, that can be installed in place of them so that we can continue to use the hardware mm-hmm. as time goes on. Yeah, I know that it's really difficult. I was just looking into uh, emulating uh, Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 games, and they still haven't even figured that out, really. They've only, I think only like 20% of both of their libraries actually work. I think it's even worse on the 360. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's kind of a big point here is that um, uh, uh, when it comes to games uh, preservation and research, um, a lot of what goes into each of those systems is still entirely unknown. Each system has chips in it that have code buried in them and all of the opcodes and the way that uh, uh, the processors run and each of the tiny little, uh, uh, tiny little chips in each one of these systems has something to do with the way games are processed in the system itself. Mm. And so uh, even today we're making discoveries um, about systems even as old as the Sega Saturn. Wow. Um, and uh, even today... Uh, emulation is growing as we get to understand more and more bits of the systems that we uh, haven't known until now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what got you sort of into this field? Do you just like, did you own a Dreamcast in its day? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I've always been a big fan of uh, uh, consoles and especially the older home systems. I really like the way things worked, and I've always had a fascination with the border between hardware and software. Mm-hmm. So that really got me into you know trying to understand the best of my uh, uh, the best that I can about um, how systems work and how to make sure to 
keep them in working order. That makes sense why you're so interested in the Dreamcast specifically because they have those VMU cards or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so for those not in the know, they uh, the Dreamcast had memory cards that you could like play games on. So you could like, um, I think certain games you could like save a a small game onto your cartridge and then you could play that separately. Yeah, it had a little tiny the- liquid crystal display. Yeah, right. They were like the teeny tiniest Game Boys. Yeah, that <laughs> slotted into the controller. Yeah. Yeah, that was so strange. I, I I think I never figured out how to get it to work well. <laughs> but, yeah, see, that's one of the that's one of the coolest things about Sega is that they always seem to be ahead of their time. Um, they had a screen in their controllers long before anybody thought that was a good idea. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, well, to be fair, no one thinks it's a good idea anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the Switch has kind of got that going for it. That's sort of true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are, are some of the reasons that that. Uh, the hardware is so unknown and we're still making discoveries is because like the companies themselves don't release things because of stuff or is it just because it's complicated systems that forgot people forget about yeah yeah well it's kind of a little of column a and a little of column b um companies have a very vested interest in making sure that their proprietary information doesn't get out you know they want to make as much money as they can on their ip and that's completely understandable but, um, you know, as patents expire and copyrights uh, uh, fall out, um, these sorts of things can end up just getting lost. Um, there's actually quite a bit of stuff that used to have documentation that's just flat out gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that's really important for um, gaming preservation is making sure that we investigate the things that are here, you know, before they get too old, you know, to make sure that we have the tools to allow people to experience these things for themselves in the modern era. Mm. Yeah. There's gotta be like a group or something that's dedicated to say preserving these things, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm in a handful of them right now. Oh. Uh, there's even a, 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 a group in Facebook. Um, I think it's along the lines of um, make, Dreamcast GD-ROM emulation happen or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but there are a lot of groups out there that are really passionate about about um, uh, uh, emulating hardware specifically and uh, uh, understanding how the different parts of different machines work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, emulation is an interesting topic, and it's sort of I think people are a little more interested in, in this moment because the NES and SNES Classic. Uh, that Nintendo is selling now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're sort of selling it. It's not available anywhere. Um, <laughs> and so it's got people thinking about like, you know, uh, alternatives to that. And one of the fascinating things I know about those systems is that uh, they became, the hardware became available to clone uh, without a license. The, it was the patents expired. Did, uh, can you talk a little bit about the older systems? Oh, um, you're, you mean to say the uh, uh, NES Mini? Yeah, or, so so like um, one of the things about um, the NES and SNES is that you can go to a, a used gaming store and buy a clone of those uh, systems. Oh, uh, because the hardware is like it's I wouldn't call it, it's not open source, but it's the all the all the hardware patents around it have expired, mm-hmm. and that, that's why those systems are more um, well known. Is because like that it's there's less trouble you can get into when you, <laughs> when you monkey with them, I yeah. suppose. Whereas like with Dreamcast, like it, it's it's a different story. Not only is the sort of the interest a little less probably, but also so much of the secrets are buried and also a lot of the IP for that hardware is still protected. 
Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, when it comes to hardware and uh, intellectual property, um, there are really two big players. It's uh, copyright and patent law. Mm -hmm. um, patent law describes the function of the specific bits of hardware in the machines themselves. So um, when a patent expires, which usually ends up being no more than 20 years after it's made, uh, you are free to make any equivalent uh, hardware um, as long as it's not literally a carbon copy of the same thing. It can function identically, mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's perfectly fine. Um, the only issue that you really run into with older hardware is copyright in this case, and that is the literal photo mask of the silicon dyes in the chips in most of these uh, uh, devices are still protected by copyright. Oh, that's um, fascinating. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, yeah. So that creates kind of a little bit of a uh, uh, dangerous scenario. Um, when you're trying to reverse engineer uh, hardware, you want to make sure that your research isn't tainted by um, investigation. You know, if you were looking at the uh, photo masks of original chips, or if you're trying to decap them and understand how they work, an important thing is making sure that the uh, uh, replica chips that you manufacture don't have any of the original uh, uh, copyrighted material, mm. even if they function the same way. So um, in this case, there's kind of a, a phenomena called clean room reverse engineering, where you investigate how a chips work by uh, looking at the photo mask and then referring that information to somebody who hasn't seen it before. And they try to create a, a, a hardware version of it based on the description that you give them. But uh, you're absolutely right when it comes to newer hardware. Um, the Dreamcast itself, a lot of the patents are still in force. So you do have to be careful about emulation mm. um, or hardware emulation rather. Sure. Um, because um, a couple of them are, are still going on right now. Um, some of these patents are about to expire, um, uh, specifically the patent on the SH2, I believe. Oh, I'm sorry, SH4 processor, which mm. is the proprietary processor that the Dreamcast uses. Um, and that's going to open up a lot of really awesome possibilities. There's an open source version of it being worked on right now. Wow. Uh, some of us are kind of hopeful that we might be able to uh, revert that into Dreamcast hardware as soon as it becomes available. Um, and that should be coming in sometime later next year. Hmm. So, I mean, so right now, it's, we're kind of on the verge of mm -hmm. maybe a, a new era of Dreamcast emulation. Yeah. But for now, it's really about preservation. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, in this case, uh, like I said earlier, there are, you know, the disk drives are failing mm -hmm. and we want to make sure that there is a way of playing these games on original hardware. Um, you know, software emulation can only go so far, largely because there's so many unknowns about the system that we don't have. Mm -hmm. So really to get a genuine experience, you kind of need to play it on original hardware. Um, yeah, that's kind of created a, uh, a niche market for aftermarket alternatives mm -hmm. to the disk drive um, that uh, uh, it's actually kind of cool. Um, a lot of them use flash USB drives and yeah. some of them use um, uh, uh, SD cards as an alternative mm -hmm. to the disk drives. It's kind of interesting how people innovate that way. Yeah, because huh. with, uh, with disk drive systems, it, you just need the data 
being read by the system, whereas old cartridge-based systems, the cartridges were part of the hardware in the end. Yeah. And so that made an extra challenge. So that, that's probably with a one easy part. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, one of the really cool things about the Dreamcast is that uh, the disk drive is actually just, uh, it runs off of uh, IDE protocol. If you mod the uh, uh, bootstrap, if you mod the uh, uh, BIOS, um, you can actually just plug a hard drive in and it'll work fine. Wow. Huh. Wow, that is something else. It's, it's a good <laughs> thing you're getting a jump on it now because I know there's like a lot of uh, old uh, consoles and things that are in games that have just been lost due to time and people not keeping track of them. So it's good that we're getting a jump on it now. And it's good that we're getting a jump on the Dreamcast specifically because I know that had a lot of gems. <laughs> Like Power Stone. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that game. Steven, you want to just talk about the glory days of the Dreamcast now. I mean, you? maybe a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it was, there was Power Stone. Uh, Sonic Adventure wasn't really that good of a game, but I mean, it was a fun game, sort of. It, it had its charming flaws. It, <laughs> yeah. was, it was definitely cute in a fashion. That's, that's a good way of describing it. <laughs> uh, man, what other games did I have? There was... There was Oh, there was Ready to Rumble Boxing, mm. and uh, uh, oh man, now I gotta look at my list of games <laughs> I got. <laughs> when when was the Dreamcast originally made? Uh, so if I remember correctly, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I believe it was 1999. It was released, um, and it was in production for uh, almost a decade, I think. Oh wow. Um, uh, my my timing might be off a little bit. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head, but, but some somewhere early two thousands, yes, late mm-hmm. late nineties. Yeah, I know that it. I mean, it flopped almost immediately, right? Or no, it it had a good year, um, maybe. It, it had a right. very strong start, but unfortunately, it was kind of hobbled by some previous decisions that Sega had made. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem was. Um, First of all, Nintendo had a head start on the market, and right. so they had a lot of the third-party material already out there, um, and it was a little bit more difficult to negotiate licenses with third parties when they already had a license to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, Nintendo really had down pat the razor and blades philosophy for uh, marketing. Um, they understood that if they sold their system for cheap, they could make up all that money on games, mm-hmm. and uh, Sega didn't pick up on that right away. Hmm. Um, it was also kind of their innovation that really ultimately ended up in their downfall. Um, the Sega Game Gear was absolutely fantastic, way ahead of its time, um, with a backlight and color before the Game Boy had either. But unfortunately, it was very expensive, and the battery life was atrocious. Mm. And really, Sega's passion and initiative and their forward thinking kind of ended up being their downfall. Um, by the time the Dreamcast had rolled around, they were a little bit tight financially. Um, the Dreamcast was rather successful, but they just couldn't afford to lower the price when the GameCube went down to $99. Mm-hmm. That really was kind of the killing blow. Well, not just that. Uh, Sony was already in the field, and Microsoft was almost there. So yeah. the comp- that was the probably most competitive era of video game consoles. Yeah. So if, yeah, if they didn't have enough flexibility, I'm not surprised that was the end of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It really was kind of a a confluence of bad factors that ended up in their downfall. Mm -hmm. But 
it was a pretty fantastic machine for its time. Yeah, right. right. It had uh, did it have a um, an integrated modem or was it a, a, a separate? I mean, I know that was one of the first games that could play online. Yeah, yeah. So the modem was integrated right into the machine itself. Um, it was detachable, really easy. You just pulled it right off, um, which allowed you to replace it with a broadband modem. But those oh, wow. are very very rare nowadays. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you said it was in production for a, a decade. I actually I read recently that they finally like the last original Dreamcast game was made only like a year or two ago. Yeah. Right. The crazy thing about that is there are still game companies today making games for the Dreamcast, mm-hmm. producing games even. Uh, it's a pretty small scene, um, and they're really kind of uh, uh, for niche gamers. Right. But if you look out there, there is probably about, I'd say, one or two releases a year for the Dreamcast still. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. That is so cool. Are, <laughs> what, like, why? <laughs> yes. Good question. Why? <laughs> I mean, I think that's really fascinating, but I, I can't imagine there's a large, there's, there can't be a large audience for no, that. No, no. Do they sell all. the games or do they just give them out for free? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. They really do sell those games huh. and you can get them for retail prices. Um, believe it or not, there are even games companies making games for the Sega Genesis. And you can you can purchase cartridges that plug right into it, and they work just fine. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. that is crazy. It's a very small niche market, but they do exist. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, tell us about the work that you do to preserve these. Like, what is what's the, like down and dirty? What is it that you actually do then with that stuff? Well, um, largely, you know, I look for examples of it online. Um, if there are broken consoles that people have, they want to throw away, you know, I make sure to stop them and say, <laughs> you know, um, just because they don't work doesn't mean there isn't something salvageable about them. Um, and so the easiest thing to do when it comes to games preservation is finding broken systems and putting them together to make a handful of good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the really cool things about the Dreamcast is how imminently, eminently serviceable it is. Um, ah. Really, four Phillips screws, and you have access to the entire machine. Everything <laughs> is plug-and-play. Um, you can just pull bits off of it, and they're very modular. Um, the power supply is separate. The uh, uh, disk drive is separate, and they just lift right off. Um, that's kind of one of the reasons why I fell in love with the machine is because it's so clean inside and it's really easy to service any of the parts. But the easiest thing that you can do for games preservation is just make sure that things that are destined for the junkyard find a new home and a new heart. A console that has been largely destroyed can have aftermarket parts be put in, you know, in its stead. You can bring a system back from the grave just by, uh, just by deciding to to pimp it out. You know, um, <laughs> I have a Game Boy at home. Uh, I bought off of eBay for five bucks, and the thing was absolutely trashed. But with a little bit of soldering and a uh, case replacement, uh, it's got a whole bunch of glowy bits, and it's really cool. Huh. And you know something that probably would have just went straight to the trash, you know, I it has a new place in the world. So I, I noticed you brought a bunch of props and things. Uh, is, is one of those the, the game where you're just talking about? Uh, uh, you caught me. I don't have one on me at <laughs> hand. I didn't think we would be talking about Game Boy That whole story was today. made up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. glowy bits. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you bring? Uh, so I have, I have with me a handful of examples Um, 
I brought with me the three major hardware revisions for the Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And, you know, each of them has different little bits to them. And I also brought a couple of uh, uh, esoteric bits of hardware. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite games is uh, The Typing of the Dead. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious yeah. because it's, uh, it was based on The House of the, D- the Dead 2 which is this really janky, low-poly, uh, 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 silly, over-the-top uh, uh, rail shooter. And they basically just drag-and-drop the whole game into a keyboard shooter. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, all of the cutscenes are exactly the same, but they replace their guns with keyboards. <laughs> and it's just this ludicrous, over-the-top experience, but um, it's really a lot of fun. It's like Mavis teaches typing, but for your life? Yeah, pretty much, pretty <laughs> much. Um, and, you know, one of the... One of the funnest parts about it is all of the phrases are just really absurd. Yeah. You know, they pick the most <laughs> random things that they that they can throw at you. So you have to kind of be prepared for some silly stories. <laughs> awesome. Uh can we see some of your some of your toys? Oh, sure, sure. Okay, for listeners at home, Ben is now operating on a Dreamcast. Doing some minor surgery. So this is the first revision you're cracking open? Um, this is, yes, the first revision. Mm-hmm. So the second, the second version. Oh, so this is the second model, sure. Yes, yes. So revision number one. Um, this is the most common and the probably the most desired out of all three of them. Sure, sure. Um, there we go. <laughs> that sound was the four Phillips screws. Tumbling onto the table. Yeah. <laughs> Are we ASMR now? I don't know what we're doing here. There we go. Whoa. See? Mm-hmm. That's the beauty right there. If you look here, uh, this is pretty much the entire system. Yeah, you weren't kidding. It, I mean, it does look like, I mean, you can get your fingers all over it. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, here's the disk drive. Mm-hmm. Um, it just lifts right off. Um, there's the controller port board. It has a little battery in here for the clock. Um, and this is the power supply and the fan. And uh, underneath here is the uh, main board. And that's where the uh, uh, processor and the uh, and the GPU are under. Um, but that's this is one of the reasons why I really appreciate the Dreamcast is because it's so easy to open and all of the parts are modular. So mm-hmm. if one goes bad, you know, obviously you want to try to fix it, but um, you can very quickly just drop a new one in and mm-hmm. then it'll be up and running again. Cool. Man, that is fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, you're speaking very glowingly of how moddable it is, but wh- when does it get tough? Um, well, the thing is, um, it's very easy to drop new parts in, mm-hmm. but um, you really want to try to keep the old parts as much as you can because every part you throw away, that's a portion of a Dreamcast that's gone forever. Right, yeah. So um, if there is some uh, element of it that's reparable, that you can actually uh, uh, go in and fix that. So, you know, sometimes it requires a little bit of soldering. Um, The battery occasionally needs to be replaced. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess probably the the biggest issue would just be missing parts. Yeah. the uh, uh, disk drive itself, um, that's the thing that goes bad the most often. So sometimes it's kind of hard to find. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
so really there's there's got to be a point where you decide okay this part seems broken looks broken tests it's totally broken but you still are like wary to throw it out um yeah yeah so i do have kind of a bin of uh broken parts oh so you Uh, haven't thrown anything out oh no no (laughs) never there's always a use there's always a use okay and if it happens to be that one uh uh, one module of it is bad for some reason and a uh uh the same module is bad for a different reason on a different machine you might be able to combine the two modules if you have just a little bit of soldering experience oh sure sure so, I mean, does it get really Frankenstein-y then after a while? Um, you know, it really depends on uh, uh, how much you care about the aesthetics inside. <laughs> um, I'm personally very, very fond of the way that uh, uh, the inside of electronics works, and mm-hmm. I kind of like to show off my stuff. So <laughs> my uh, uh, my modifications are usually very, very careful and cautious. But um, it uh, depending on the... Um, depending on the kinds of mods that you do, sometimes, especially if you're on the cutting edge of new mods, you might be making things yourself and prototyping things, and sure. you'll end up with a rat's nest of wires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do we take? We got a picture of this, though, right? <laughs> yeah, we. Got- <laughs> and so you, and so that's the Dreamcast there, and you also have the keyboard and the controllers here with. You. Ah, yes, yes. And the typing of the dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One thing that's kind of cool about the Dreamcast is it actually, you know, has a keyboard and mouse that's just proprietary, uh, uh, first-party Sega hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, and there weren't all that many games that used it, but the ones that did uh, really benefited from it. Um, Fantasy Star Online was a, a really common keyboard and mouse game. Uh, I remember there was like yeah that internet browser thing. There was an internet browser for you the know what? It's funny yeah. you mention that because I'm spying the the top shell of the case here, and it has a logo, a certification logo compatible with Windows CE. Oh, which I think that's <laughs> is that it was a it was a was it a version of Internet Explorer, or am I thinking of something else? So the Windows CE is a, uh, a DLL library mm-hmm. that um, was commissioned by Sega. Um, uh, and many of the games ran off of that DLL library. So it's not entirely an operating system per se, but the majority of the bits required to get Windows games running on a machine like this. Yeah, CE stands for Compact Embedded, so it's the same yes. kind of OS mm-hmm. that you'd see in like point-of-sale systems, ATMs, stuff like that. Yeah, uh, It's fascinating that it found its way into a game console on the eve of the launch of the Xbox, no <laughs> doubt. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, um, and you're right. Um, uh, uh, the web browsers did rely a lot on the Windows CE um, software that was provided with the machine and compatible with the machine. Um, but unfortunately, it wasn't quite a full-fledged operating system. There's no secret desktop uh, ah. hidden in there somewhere. <laughs> um, although there is kind of a uh, uh, an operating system that was made by modders after the oh. fact. Huh. Um, if I remember correctly, I think it's called Callisti OS or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, it's uh, oftentimes used for running uh, homebrew software or doing uh, file management on the thing. Oh, and that's one of the VMUs? Yeah, Is that what they're yeah. called, VMUs? I'm yes, sure. yeah. yeah. Um, visual memory units. Uh, yes. Those are really cool because they're basically, like you said earlier, just mini Game Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the cool things about that is uh, the connector that you use to plug them into the uh, controller is actually um, omnidirectional. It's a uh, asexual connector, oh. so you can 
if you want, you can plug your two little uh, uh, VMUs together and you can talk to each other, you know, and play little <laughs> games against each other or uh, trade chow eggs was kind of the big right, thing. Right, that's what it was. I could never figure out how to get, no, I did figure out <laughs> how to get chows on my, on my thing, but I don't think I ever got much out of it. Oh, back when Sonic had chows. <laughs> should bring those back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, one of the things that I, really appreciate about the screen on the little memory cards is that you know because they plugged into the controller you had a screen on your controller i always thought that was the coolest thing ever Mm -hmm. um i one of the neat things about it is if you're playing a game where you need to hide some information from the people you're playing next to you know that gives you a little extra screen that can have all the information on it like for example if you're playing a game of poker or something like that you certainly don't want to have the cards on the screen right Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that was most taken advantage of in a uh, Sega clone of um, Mario Party. They called it Sonic Shuffle. Oh, I, I heard of that. And oh, wow. it was really, really corny. But <laughs> frankly, it was actually kind of a fun game if you could get over the weird visuals and the over-the-top story. Huh. Yeah, I, I heard bad things about that game but i always wanted a copy I, I just i wanted to try it yeah, yeah you know that's interesting that's one of the things that you know years from now when all of this is dust like yeah. it's gonna be hard to emulate a lot of those experiences uh-huh. oh yeah and that's you know uh, uh nintendo historians have worried about that for all, all sorts of nintendo's crazy gimmicks but this was one where uh very similarly like it's not you can't do that at home unless you sort of have your own sort of homebrew hardware solution and that's why keeping these things maintained is important um, yeah, and uh, uh, an interesting thing about that, um, one of the, I'm trying to remember the name of the company that produced the game, but the latest game that was produced for the Dreamcast, um, the company that made the game also made sure that it was ported to a whole bunch of other systems, hmm. um, especially the PC, mm-hmm. and to make sure that so they, they could had, sell some copies. <laughs> yeah, and to make sure that they had parity with the console version. Um, they actually created a VMU emulator oh. that allows oh, wow. uh, uh, that allows you to see what's happening on the VMU as you play the game on the PC. Oh, okay, okay, ah, right, yeah. okay, that makes sense. And the saves themselves are actually cross compatible. You can download them onto a little VMU and plug it into your Dreamcast and continue playing the game. Hmm. Huh? That's so cool. Do they have little cables you have to plug it in. Is there like a special <laughs> port you need for that? Um, yeah, there are a lot of third-party solutions for uh, uh, retrieving and uh, putting data on your uh, VMUs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a little bit hard to find, but you know, if you just type it into Google, you'll eventually run into them. Okay. So uh, you brought a couple of the different revisions. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about like what Sega did? You know, for each new version, like what little tweaks did they make? Like yeah. why is it? Why why do you have? Why do you uh, want to have at least one of each? It seems like it's important to have the full library, right? <laughs> Well, part of it is, you know, I'm a collector and oh, it's sure. not entirely rational. I just want to have them because I, I can, you know, it's a thing to collect. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, it's also kind of fascinating learning the differences in hardware and seeing how those differences can affect the way you uh, uh, maintain and mod and improve the systems. Mm-hmm. Um, the original Revision Zero system um, was probably the rarest of the three, but it was distinct from the most common first revision by the fact that um, rather than having the uh, metal plate over the uh, uh, main board um, as a large heat sink, it instead had individual heat sinks attached to each other via a, a 
passive heat pipe, mm-hmm. and the fan was uh, made out of aluminum instead of plastic. Oh, so it seems like Revision 1 was really about cost savings. Um, yeah, yeah, and also um, it was a little bit easier to service as well. Sure, sure. Um, not by very much, but those heat pipes can be a little fragile when you're taking them off the system. Mm-hmm. Um, the second revision, which happened in the last year or so of production, so it didn't see very much, is probably the one that modders like the least because um, the one improvement that they made was they integrated the daughter board of the disk drive into the main board itself. And so the laser and all the motors just plug straight into the main board. Um, this was kind of a problem because it makes it impossible to replace the disk drive. Um, oh, oh. You have to cut traces, and that's kind of a risky thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> so if someone wants to get started monkeying with their Dreamcast, what are the, what the, what are the tools you need to interact uh, not just to you know put it all together, which is just you know I imagine you need some soldering equipment and some gumption, um, <laughs> but what kind of uh, software tools do you need to sort of start interacting, uh, testing, and and actually servicing these things? Um, well, I mean the the first thing that you can do is pick up a Phillips head screwdriver. Mm-hmm. One of the cool things about this, like I said, is that you can take this apart with very minimal tools. Um, uh, uh, the majority of Parts you can just drop right in. Um, if you want to make some uh, uh, alterations, yes, you're right. You would need a soldering iron if you wanted to replace the BIOS chip, for example, with sure. one that uh, you know is unlocked and lets you use other hardware. Um, but besides that, uh, online there are actually a fair number of resources. You can download uh, disk image files for um, operating systems made by hackers uh, yeah. in their spare time. That lets you run and boot games off of uh, uh, hard drives and things like that. You know, some of the websites are a little bit older, but all of it is readily available online. Um, really, you just need some modern disk burning software and um, a copy of the image files of whatever um, whatever management software you need. Nice. So, re- I mean, really, it's like uh, it. It's not. Uh, it's, there's not a big wall you have to climb, like maybe some other like hardware hacking hobbies do. Yeah, so um, in the case of running custom software on your Dreamcast, um, you need to have uh, the original disk drive intact if you don't want to make any uh, uh, soldering adjustments to it. You know, if you don't want to do anything too dramatic. If you want to run without the disk drive altogether, you do need to replace the BIOS. Um, and those there are actually readily available uh, solutions online. You can buy BIOS chips that have been pre-flashed. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, if you are at least moderately competent in soldering, you should be able to uh, uh, you should be able to replace the chips with no problem. Sure, sure. Yeah, and so you said pre-flash. So you don't really have. You just have to physically get it in there. Yep, yep. Hmm. Um, there is a way of uh, uh, flashing those chips in hardware if you get a blank one, mm-hmm. um, but that's a little bit more involved. Right, um, right. So talk to us a little bit about the community that that forms around the Dreamcast. I bet it's a lot of, like you said, you, it's like you love, you got to love the underdog, right? Oh yeah. So yeah. It's, I'm sure it's full of uh, people of like mind. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, the folks that you interact with. Um, yeah, well, there's a lot of really passionate people out there. Um, a lot of them have a vested interest in investigating novel ways to uh, get software running on the system. Mm-hmm. Um, the latest projects are largely the GD-ROM replacement projects with the 
uh, uh, advent of incredibly cheap FPGAs, um, that is to say uh, field programmable gate arrays, we're able to make chips um, as end users that are able to make subclock processing. In other words, uh, you can actually create the logic that uh, uh, dictates how a machine works. Um, uh, now that these chips, they've been around for a while, but now that these chips are very, very inexpensive, uh, kits have come out that uh, let people learn and experiment with them. And you can buy um, FPGA kits and boards that have learning programs and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really the biggest part of the next step in um, the hardware alterations and the community in the Dreamcast. Um, you got that, Stephen? <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of technical stuff there. Uh, but I mean, sorry. No, that's totally cool. Like that, that, I'm, I'm, that's very fascinating. I didn't understand a lot of it, but <laughs> it was well, really cool. We're going to try to put a lot of this in the show notes yes. so that people who are like interested in this but don't quite get all the details, right, which right. I would count at all of us at this table. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I could talk for hours about this, so if you need any detail, you let me know. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll put a bunch of it in the notes so people can do their own research and find out more because I mm-hmm. think what's great about a topic like this and, and a, a, an expert like you is just to inspire motivation for people to, to learn more and do more about this stuff. Cause it's not just a hobby. It's like a, it's a fascinating piece of history and it's an important, it's important work this preservation stuff. So yeah. it's, it's got a lot of dimensions to it. That's both fun and educational mm-hmm. and meaningful and for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is great. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Well, before we bounce, Steven, you had a couple of questions you wanted to ask the, the, uh, the assembled group about, <laughs> about hardware, right? Yes. I wanted to know uh, your favorite video game hardware. Like, it could be aesthetically or just mm-hmm. uh, how how well it ran, or like I don't know what 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 what's your favorite? You're looking right at me. Should I start? I am looking <laughs> at you, Mark. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of this is tied to our own nostalgia, of course. You know, and our own, our own history. And so there's two. They're both Nintendo because mm-hmm. that's that's how it goes. Uh, although I was a Sega kid for a long time, I didn't have a Super Nintendo. I had a, I had a Genesis. I had a Saturn, mm. um, but um, I had a, also had a, had a Nintendo 64 and that three handled controller. <laughs> I, for some reason, I like even then people were like, "This is dumb," and I was like, "I know it's dumb, but I love it anyway." I love yeah. everything about it. And this is before dual analog was like standard. And when you needed the D pad and the joystick, right. which you do now, yeah. But then you didn't. You could choose one or the other, and mm-hmm. so it made perfect logical sense. And so I, I love that controller. It was it was ergonomic despite itself. Um, I liked using the C buttons as a, as sort of a, a, a makeshift second. That's how I learned strafing and Goldeneye. Like that's, <laughs> which is why it's um, it's it's funny because uh, on a PC you have mouse and keyboard and you move with your right hand or you look with your right hand and you strafe with your left hand and that is just opposite for what I'm what I'm used to. It's oh like, yeah. When I think of Nintendo sixty four is the analog with the left and digital with the right. And so that is probably Martha, the reason I don't play PC games. (laughs) I guess that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) I've been trying to apologize to Martha for this. And now I've got a good reason. So, um, yeah. And then also the virtual boy. I love the virtual boy. Virtual boy. It's, it was a ridiculous piece of hardware. And I, I remember I never owned one, but I rented one for a birthday party. of Yeah. I must've been, must have been 11 or something. And, uh, no one else played it like at my birthday party, (laughs) but I, I liked it. And I've always just thought that I was, I mean, it's, again, in spite of its limitations, mm-hmm. it was a cool idea. And I'm, I'm always willing to give things the benefit of the doubt. If they have a cool idea that's executed well, it doesn't matter if it's not good at the normal stuff. Right. But the virtual boy wasn't 
executed well. It was pretty good. <laughs> it was pretty good. Okay. Have you ever played Virtual Boy? I haven't Boy? actually played Virtual Boy. Oh, okay. They okay. had, uh, at the first GlitchCon, yeah. uh, one of her friends, I think it was Bree Powers? Yeah. I want to say she had a Virtual Boy. Mm-hmm. She shared it off with people, and I tried it a little bit, mm-hmm. and it's just... Yeah, not fun. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, their own. I, I grew up playing console games, mm-hmm. and I didn't play a lot of arcade games. So, Virtual Boy was one of the first times I saw 3D um, vector graphics, like oh, fully okay. 3D rendered stuff. Yeah, and it was you know it's just lines, right? But it yeah. was actually in 3D, and so um, that meant a lot because you really couldn't get that outside of the arcades right. at that time. Right. Um, so yeah, those those are my favorite. Okay, <laughs> both ridiculous pieces. <laughs> <laughs> but fascinating nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite is the GameCube. Yeah, I just love the shape. Oh yeah, and the name, the little handle. Yeah, and the handle. It and was that, great because it's just it just seemed like you could bring it wherever you wanted because it was made for that. It had little handle. You could take it places. I never took it places, <laughs> but like I had the option. Yeah, it felt like it, and I just liked that it was in a neat little cube. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, like the way that thing was shaped. My my GameCube had um, we had a bunch of attachments to it because I actually that's I did take it on the go. I tried to put it in the car because we had like a battery system thing for it. That I have that I plugged in, and then oh, a cool. screen, little tiny screen, smaller Whoa, than the fancy. Wii U screen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I played a lot. I, of ju- I just had my Game Gear, and I could, the batteries wouldn't make it to Grandma's house. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, but I, yeah, I had all of that stuff. So like, I, I felt like the GameCube was uh, not modular or whatever, but like it, it just it, it just looked good, and it and it it was nice and small, and it just it felt stylish and nice. <laughs> and it just, it's a good system. Well, what do games. you say to the fact that the GameCube had the only bad D-pad that Nintendo ever made? Uh, <laughs> not much. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I didn't. Yeah, I didn't use the D-pad very much on that system anyway. So, mm-hmm. eh. <laughs> it's not any. It's much better than the Xbox. So, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also liked the GameCube. I liked that it had. You could put the. Um, the we had the or my cousin had the attachment that you could put your Game Boy Advance games yeah, into it. Super oh, Game Boy. And they could play those on the TV, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think my most favorite one is uh the first one I ever got is Game Boy Color. Yeah. Um because it was the first console we could ever have. Oh sure. Yeah. And so me and my brother bought it together. We saved up and bought one and then we got to each play it for an hour a day. <laughs> and so uh, and we got one that was like kind of clear and so you could see all the parts on the inside and oh. I thought that was super cool. I have almost an ex- the exact same story but it took place a few years earlier so my sister and I saved up and not bought a Game Boy Color but a Color Game Boy oh, yeah. which was a Game Boy with a colored shell Right, and we got the clear one. <laughs> nice. <Yeah. laughs> and I remember when the Game Boy Color came out I was like what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> I didn't understand. <laughs> oh that was something. Do you like one other than the Dreamcast? Yeah, other, yeah. Uh, you, now you need to go, Ben, but you can't include yeah, the obvious. Yeah, I suppose uh, it almost feels like cheating to say that. Um, I suppose I'd probably have to say um, the Game Boy Color actually is mm. is really on the top of my list for me, um, largely because uh, it had so many so many memories for me. Um, I did start with the original Game Boy, and I had a clear one, a perfectly clear one. Mm-hmm. But um, the Game Boy Color was probably the most beautiful portable system um if you ever cracked it open uh uh the the pcb just looked very elegant and there were no gross parts on it um the original game boy looked pretty cool 
but um, it did have a lot of like older capacitors on there, and the right. PCBs sure. were kind of they looked almost like they were manufactured by hand. So the <laughs> the Game Boy Color is just an absolutely gorgeous machine, and it had um, all of the benefits of the original Game Boy, but um, just slightly better in every way. And you know, beautiful on the inside. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, Ben, for joining us. And before we let you go, we do want to ask you about the event you run here at Glitch, Gamerspace. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, every second Tuesday of every month, um, we host an event here at, Gamers, uh, at Glitch um, called Gamerspace, where um, LGBT folks can come together and we can have a fun time playing video games, playing board games, and uh, 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 having a good chat and it's been a lot of fun, mm-hmm. especially the last one has been quite a banging su- success and um, a lot of people showed up. It's really nice meeting a whole bunch of really new, uh, a really cool new people mm-hmm. um, who have a passion for games. Right. And um, it gives people who normally don't always have a space for themselves uh, somewhere where they can be themselves and we can get to know and introduce each other in a way that's, uh, you know, uh, safe and fun. Mm-hmm. I, uh, so, uh, Stephen, you're here a lot for Gamerspace. Yes. And I'm here a lot of times working and just seeing, like, it's such a chill environment mm-hmm. and everybody's welcome. Yeah. And it's just a cool, great event for people. And I love that Glitch can have stuff like that. And I love that we have people like you, Ben, to host it and to make sure that it keeps going. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I really love meeting new people all the time. And it's kind of cool to see different folks in our community, you know, um, uh, uh, LGBT folks that uh, normally, you know, don't always come out of the woodwork, and it's kind of awesome to provide an opportunity for people like that. Yeah, play a lot of Mario Kart at this, these things. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, a lot of Mario Kart gets kind of competitive. Yeah, yeah, which I like. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, you know, if there's any place people can find you online, they want to get in touch with you, maybe ask you some Dreamcast questions. Where, where can they get a hold of you? Uh, I suppose my primary public-facing um, space would probably be on Facebook. You can find me, uh, Ben Franks. Um, you'll be able to see me, um, especially as a host on uh, previous Gamer Space events. Um, and so that probably would be the best way to contact me. Otherwise, um, I do have an email, ben at franks.net. If you ever have any questions, you can always... Uh, Drop me a line. Yeah, if you have a Dreamcast that needs fixing or that needs donating or <laughs> yes, parts yes. that needs I, I am very, very happy to save anything from the garbage bin. You know, if there is some <laughs> way that I can make sure to keep games perpetuating into the future, you know, uh, I will take that off your hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app. Be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. Ben, will you do us a favor and be nice and give us a good review? Oh, yes. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Normally, our guests are real cheeky about that, so it was nice to get a good, quick answer from you. (laughs) Well, I had so much fun here today. (laughs) Yay. Good, strong endorsement. So uh, be like Ben, be nice, leave us a good review, and tell all your friends, too. Uh, You can find us on the feedback form and let us know what you think of the show and help us improve it. Stephen, where can they find that? Nicegames.club slash feedback. That's right. Stephen, people are going to do it, I promise. Okay. (laughs) Don't, Don't make Mark lie to me. (laughs) (laughs) I do enough of that as it is. 
Uh, we post the show notes on Reddit each week, so check them out there. We're also going to start trying to post some prompts for future episodes. Take a mm-hmm. look at threads uh, from Nice Games Club and answer some questions about uh, future topics. You could appear on the show That's in spirit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We did this recently on a show. We told some stories that we solicited from Reddit, and it was a real big success. So uh, we're going to start doing that some more. So take a, a, keep an eye out for that stuff. Uh, we also hear directly from you, of course, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing, send us your topics, and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find more about the show, your nice host, our nice guest, as well as get all the links and notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. And so, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.